This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, September 13th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Telluride officials warn of local vandalism. Medical center funding saga continues. Town council moves towards short-term rental policy. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, a fire roughly two miles north of Telluride near the Sneffels Highline Trail has been 100% contained and is laying low with no active fire behavior. This comes after firefighters hiked to the area to clear surrounding trees. Their efforts were aided by rain and overcast skies. Meanwhile, a separate fire, the Spring Creek Fire, located 15 miles southwest of Montrose, has been 50% contained and reduced to a creeping smolder. It is currently burning at approximately 16 acres. The U.S. Forest Service is continuing to monitor both fires. Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson is urging the community to be aware and report incidents to law enforcement after a number of acts of vandalism in the community over the past several weeks. This weekend, we had uh, a fire uh, started within the restrooms of Carhenge bathrooms. In the, in the week or two prior to that, we had probably eight to 10 street signs that were knocked down very purposefully all in one evening that took a lot of work for staff to just get back from a safety standpoint quickly. Robson spoke at a town council meeting on Tuesday. He notes Telluride Marshall vehicles have also been damaged. Last night, we had a code enforcement um, vehicle. All the tires were slashed along Pacific Avenue. Um, prior to that, uh, we had uh, tires slashed of our community services staff in the Shandoka lot and a Marshall's vehicle tire slashed um, in the same zone. This is all just kind of during the course of this spring and summer. In addition, Robson says Telluride housing staff have felt compelled to have safety emergency buttons installed in their offices while going through housing compliance checks due to safety threats. So it's, um, I think, first and foremost, if you're seeing things out there at night during the day, anywhere from a vandalism standpoint, please, please report those quickly uh, into our marshal's office. We're really trying to get to the bottom some really unfortunate and unnecessary vandalism. Above all, Robson says, be kind to public employees trying to do their jobs. They're trying to do really good work out in the community. And I think there's a lot of um, stress and pressure on on public staff right now that are really feeling it out there. Incidents of vandalism can be shared with the Telluride Marshals Department through 911 or by calling the non-emergency dispatch line at 970-249-9110. Kodo News is following the last-ditch efforts of the Telluride Medical Center to avert a financial disaster which would force it to shutter its doors in late October. Seeking an emergency bailout as it struggles to make payroll, the leadership of the hospital district has turned to area governments, says interim CEO Dr. Deanna Colliker. We did um, approach the um, four entities, and it was Town of Telluride, Town of Mountain Village, San Miguel County, and TMVOA. TMVOA being the Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association. The hospital district asked each entity for $500,000, hoping to secure $2 million in total as soon as possible. 
continues Colliker. And um, we have been before um, Town of Mountain Village as well as San Miguel County. And they, both of those entities um, did pledge their support. This week, Colliker, along with members of the Telluride Hospital District Board, came before Telluride Town Council to ask for their commitment to some bailout money. Council expressed a willingness to give the hospital district $650,000 to align with Mountain Village's contribution. San Miguel County has committed to offering $500,000, while TMVOA has not committed to funding. Town Manager Scott Robson says Telluride is interested in structuring the bailout as a loan. Uh, But we recognize as well that uh, we don't want to create too many layers uh, of complexity to this this give towards the uh, medical center as the financial needs are real and they're current. Council members all expressed a desire to see the Med Center lay out a clear plan towards financial sustainability. The hospital district is pursuing various reforms, such as hiring a permanent CEO, putting a property tax increase on the November ballot, and hiring a new billing company. But Councilmember Adrian Christie says she wants the hospital district to lay out even more specific changes. I would like them to do not just have a new billing company, but within the billing company, provide us with an audit of what how they're going to be different because you have had now how many billing companies and those theoretically have, they have, you have not changed your revenue cycle based on the billing company. I don't know. See, that's the kind of thing where like, I want future behavior to be different. Meanwhile, the town of Mountain Village sent the hospital district a list of questions and requests for data and information as part of its pledge to offer the money. The hospital district will send answers to those questions to all the parties involved but points out Councilmember Geneva Shawnette, there's no time, and she feels forced to make the decision blindly. Here we are with an action item, and I have not seen the list of questions, and no one has seen the responses. So how can we vote on this thing without any of the due diligence that we're supposed to get before we decide? Mayor Pro Tem Mian Fee recognizes the issues of transparency, which council members raise. But with the urgent nature of the ask, she says the pledge for support must come now. I do think that we just need to have it as a forgivable loan and we assess and determine what those conditions are at a point when we feel like we can actually make them. I think we just need to kind of split this into two different conversations because we need to take care of our community first and foremost. Council voted unanimously to pledge $650,000 towards the Med Center. The conditions of the loan, when and if it might be forgiven, what the town expects from the hospital district going forward, and so on, will be filled out in the coming weeks. The town of Telluride is getting closer to solidifying new regulations on short-term rentals. Over the past weeks and months, the town has been looking at data when it comes to STRs in Telluride. In a work session at town council on Tuesday, the focus was on policy. Lindsay Mills, communication manager for Telluride, says policy can be based in seven areas. The first, STR license categories. The few categories that have been discussed amongst council and amongst staff um, are a condo hotel, a primary residence, license category with a limited number of nights that they're allowed to rent, a midterm license for data gathering specifically. Um, and this would be anywhere from that 30 night to six month range. And it's a, it's a license category that we don't have any data on at the moment. Um, but 
is outside of that short-term rental and long-term rental zone. Um, the full STR license um, and then a long-term license. And again, this is for data collection. This would be six months or more. And this is strictly so we can continue to track long-term rentals in the community. Um, and then finally, the, the final license category that's been discussed is owner-occupied deed-restricted rentals, which would be limited to a number of nights annually. The second area is a cap. In discussing license caps, the most recent discussion um, in our work session was considering caps based on license type potentially rather than zone district. Currently, um, our licenses are capped at 758. Exceptions allow for new re- new primary residence licenses only. The town could also raise the cost of business license fees for getting an STR license and or implement administrative fees on the licenses. Next, regulatory fees. Telluride is working with Consultants Economic Planning Systems, which is still working on a regulatory fee study. The decision is whether to implement or not implement an STR regulatory fee. There's not currently one in the town of Telluride. Um, EPS is evaluating the fee study to determine the appropriate, appropriate recommendation for that fee structure. Town Council will discuss regulatory fees at a budget meeting next week. The town could also limit the number of short-term rentals an individual or entity could have or increase the cost for additional STR licenses. Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson notes, the number of individuals or businesses holding multiple licenses is low. We've got about six ownership groups or families or individuals that own more than three uh, STR licenses or have more than three licenses. Robson says those six groups holds a total of about 29 units. The final regulation area is an excise tax. Currently, there's a 2.5% excise tax, 100% of which is allocated to the Affordable Housing Fund. The discussion was whether to increase or maintain that current excise tax. As a note, any change to the current excise tax would have to be put in front of voters on a future ballot um, and could not be considered for this November 2023 ballot at this point. During discussion, the majority of council was on the same page when it comes to the STR license categories, with minor shifts in language to indicate a primary residence STR license must be owner-occupied, and a full STR license is a classic STR license. Council also asked to remove the deed-restricted STR license category with the potential for future discussion. Council supported upping business license fees, likely with different fees per license category. Council was somewhat split on raising an excise tax, but regardless, that question will have to go to voters. The primary contention of the discussion surrounds whether Telluride should keep a cap on short-term rentals. Council member Dan Enright is in full support of a cap. We need to continue to grow modestly. We are, of course, a tourism economy. We all recognize that. But to simply chase the dollar again and again doesn't matter. And I know the proponents will say, well, we'll put fees on it. We'll put fees on it. We're collecting all this money now, and it still takes years and years to build affordable housing. It takes all this time. So all this money doesn't do us anything if we can't snap our fingers and create affordable housing overnight. But council member Adrian Christie has changed her mind, no longer supporting a cap on STR licenses. In me saying that I don't think we should have a cap, I want to be clear. I do not. I do believe that STRs have, have contributed to our housing crisis. So has our purchasing of open space in our community. So has our preservation of historic buildings. The stool that is creating our housing crisis has so many legs to it, and STRs are one of them. 
And to create a cap is just one element of that that I don't think is appropriate. If in five years we can get to a place where we can address all those legs of the stool and cut them all off and around the same time, I think that's something that we should continue to look at. But for right now, I am not in favor of a cap. I'm ready to make some money more money and put it in our affordable housing fund from our licenses and fees. In an emotional moment, Christy says she's ready for the community to turn the page on the discussion. I'm ending my council term. I'm ready to close the book on this so we can all work together and move forward. Um, And I think if we continue to divide and focus on STRs, which in the grand scheme of all the things we have to do is just like not the biggest deal. And I'm crying because I feel like This is a big deal. And it feels like I'm going against who I am to say this, but I've been convinced. We have a study. We've talked to people. I've been convinced. Council member Geneva Shawnette agrees. I want to thank Adrian for um, vocalizing a lot of things I'm feeling too, for being behind a certain, you know, movement and rattling of the cage and community discussion that we've all been in that has been brutal on all of us. Um, But I do want us to come out of this and like, move on and talk about other stuff like water and the gondola and a youth center and all of the other things that we care about. Mayor Pro Tem Mianfi adds the discussion on cap or no cap has nothing to do with a commitment to community housing. This SCR conversation has been incredibly emotional for everyone. It still continues to be incredibly emotional for everyone. But the one thing I want to stress more than anything else is that any decision in regards to um These caps has nothing to do with our desire to ensure that each and every person who lives and works in this community has housing security, feels as though they can make this their home, that they can raise their children here. Telluride Town Council will discuss the possibility of regulatory fees at its meeting on Thursday, September 21st. It is scheduled to discuss and vote on a short-term rental regulation ordinance on Tuesday, October 3rd. Music and beer is the name of the game this weekend, which likely means laughter will be abundant. Blues and Brews is once again extending beyond music and pints to showcase a number of established and up-and-coming comedians. Telluride Arts will be hosting the Blues and Brews stand-up comics, along with some local favorites in The Dirty Show's comedy juke joints. The Dirty Show stand-up comedy will take place at the Telluride Arts HQ on Friday, September 15th and Saturday, September 16th, starting at 10 p.m. The new terminal at the Montrose Airport is clear for takeoff. After roughly a year and a half of construction, the $37 million project is drawing to a close. The terminal project, which has been well-known to Telluride visitors and locals alike, will nearly double the size of the airport, add a second floor as well as more passenger gates, improve the airport's baggage capacity, and make room for two new restaurants and a bar. What it will not necessarily do is add more flights or airlines. The Montrose Airport has continuously welcomed more and more visitors over the years, and it currently operates at 177% of capacity. Thus, the expansion primarily aims to meet current demand, but it does provide some upgrades and space to welcome additional flights, should airlines show an interest. 
With construction complete, new areas will begin opening up to the public this week. All the new spaces will be fully operational by the ski season. The Colorado Republican Party is crafting a ballot measure to ban gender-affirming care for the state's youth. Party Chair Dave Williams told the Colorado Sun he hopes to get it on the ballot next year. Broomfield-based psychotherapist Tara Jay works with LGBTQ plus youth. Jay says the ban would exacerbate mental health issues among trans kids. You don't have the right to come in and tell us that like our kids can't be who they are. The whole point of this is to do no harm, and yet you're turning around and doing harm onto our youth. According to the Human Rights Campaign, gender-affirming care is life-saving health care for trans people. 21 states have laws in place banning gender-affirming care for minors. Only eight states, including Colorado, have laws protecting gender-affirming care. The Interior Department is launching a new water recycling program. They're investing $180 million into creating new water supplies that are less vulnerable to drought and climate change. KUNC's Alex Hager has more. Cities around the West are looking into technology that can turn sewage back into drinking water. It's safe, but expensive. And with the region's water supplies drying up, it's an attractive proposition for cities looking to buy some peace of mind. Sushira Pocharaju is a water engineer based in Denver. Any funding like this is a huge opportunity for utilities that cannot normally afford to take a big leap and have infrastructure and technologies in place. Colorado is laying the groundwork for cities to adopt water recycling technology. Some say they're three to five years away from getting it online. A major water agency serving the Los Angeles area has plans to spend billions on its own facility. I'm Alex Hager. There's been a bumper crop of mushrooms in northwest Wyoming this year, and an effort is underway to document them, the first of its kind in more than 40 years. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Emily Cohen reports. It's a damn Saturday here in the Tetons, and 71-year-old Benji Sinclair is ready to hunt. Hunt for mushrooms, that is. More botany. I like to take people on walks, like what we're doing. This is my favorite thing. <laughs> and teaching people about the diversity. Outfitted with a canvas tote filled with field guides, Sinclair spots a mushroom alongside the trail. They're pretty. Little nipples. And I'm pretty sure these are edible. Not very tasty. And they're so small. You're not going to get much of a food, you know. Mushroom season here typically begins in late May and lasts through September, ending when conditions get too dry or too cold. Learning about the diversity in the region is a group effort, partly because there isn't a field guide specific to mushroom species in the Tetons. The last survey specific to mushrooms in northwest Wyoming was in 1982. Until now. It's a wood mold. Yeah, it's definitely natural art, too. This spring, Sinclair formed a Facebook group to help document local mushroom varieties, an informal citizen science initiative that he hopes will one day lead to a field guide. An ecologist and local wildlife guide, Sinclair says his fascination with mushrooms is a relatively new hobby. 
I kept seeing really interesting mushrooms. The more I noticed them, uh, the more I wanted to photograph them. So I, I realized there's no like local field guide for mushrooms. And some of them are incredibly fascinating and weird. Um, and the edible ones are delicious. Wild edible mushrooms like morels and chanterelles are a delicacy and usually sell for around $40 a pound but can fetch as high as $200 depending on the conditions and supply. If you know how to find them, though, you've got yourself a free gourmet dinner. It's a, you know, a mystery. It's a, it's a treasure hunt. It's a real treasure hunt. So anybody can do it, and it gets you out. And it's always just a delight to find edible mushrooms anywhere you go. Half the battle in the search for elusive edible mushrooms is understanding when and where to look. Burn scars, dense forests, riverbanks, and they are often secret. Yeah, most foragers don't want to talk about their spots for a good reason. And hopefully they know that they're foraging sustainably by cutting their mushrooms off at at ground level. It's like, it's the same thing with hunting elk. You don't reveal your favorite hunting area to anybody, your closest friends, and even then it's risky. Sinclair is hosting a mushroom talk at the Teton County Library this month about the edible, the dangerous, the deadly, and the just plain weird. Joining him is Luke Bruner, who studied mycology in graduate school. That's the science of fungi that there's a concept of evolution being this battle between individuals, and that plays a role in diversification. And that's sort of our common knowledge of evolution is this tooth and nail battle. But life itself is predicated on these mutually beneficial relationships. Bruner says he certainly appreciates a meal of sautéed chanterelles with garlic and butter, but is most fascinated by the role mushrooms play in the ecosystem. So the first land plants already had fungi associated with them. The first large organisms on Earth were these prototaxis, you know, 10-foot-tall mushroom bodies. It's a different way of looking at life itself, is that, hey, we're all, we all benefit from each other. So if you respect that and realize that, yes, there's these, these interactions that, that might help shape our identities, but really it's all predicated on helping each other. There appears to be a growing interest in mushrooms, nationally and here in the Tetons. The popular Netflix documentary Fantastic Fungi and Michael Pollan's best-selling book How to Change Your Mind about the medicinal benefits of psilocybin may have something to do with that. And interest may have grown in the pandemic as more people began exploring wild places. I think it's kind of the part of the back-to-nature thing with a lot of urban people that really want to get closer to nature. Well, you'll just look at the numbers of people that are going camping for the first time. I think it's just a fascination with the oddities of nature. Social media has a lot to do with it. There's a gazillion mushroom sites. Mushrooms are good for your health, but consuming the wrong type can be dangerous. There were a few prominent mushroom poisonings just this year, and two people died from undercooked morels, cultivated overseas and eaten at a Bozeman sushi restaurant. 
Sinclair cautions foragers to be extra careful, too. There are old mushroom hunters. There are bold mushroom hunters. But there are no old, bold mushroom hunters. I don't consider myself an old or bold mushroom hunter, but I do love it, especially if it means a delicious meal afterwards. Just don't ask me to reveal my secret foraging spots. For KHOL, I'm Emily Cohen. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Expect rain and thunderstorms throughout the day on Thursday with a high near 55 degrees. Showers could linger overnight on Thursday with otherwise cloudy skies and a low near 40. Friday calls for a high in the mid-50s with mostly cloudy skies and a 70% chance of showers in the afternoon. Expect a cloudy night on Friday with a low near 40 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, September 13th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.